what's nice is that we're um we're gonna be out of town this weekend and we're going to that like i don't i can't say it out loud but um yeah we're going away for jordan's weekend um and we're just gonna like eat good food and hang out and have a cozy time away and it'll be nice to kind of like get out of the house but not be like so far away that it's inconvenient like I don't have to fly yeah. anywhere it's not a big road trip or anything it's close enough by it's also homecoming weekend this weekend so the town is like popping which is not a good thing like there's traffic and there's no parking and so I'm like very happy to be getting out of town I don't want to be around yeah. tomorrow when the homecoming game is happening and so yeah it'll be good That'll be that'll be super nice to get away and like de-stress, decompress after yeah. just like the hard couple of weeks you've had. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, we we might not even have like cell service. Wow, I know. Yeah, a little bit. I have to say, when I was um, <laughs> segueing seamlessly, when I was <laughs> watching Midnight Mass last week, I oh <laughs> that took me out. <laughs> oh, sorry. Gabby is um holding up your like muscle roller. It's my hook. The yeah. Ho- yeah, it's it's like a yellow hook. Um I I didn't even know it was in her hand and then all of a sudden it was it's always <laughs> in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> um but when I was watching Midnight Mass last last week and I there's going this is a going to be a completely spoiler filled episode. So if you haven't seen the show and you don't want to get spoiled go away now um we've already kind of spoiled it because if it's on this podcast it means there's a vampire but there are all those moments where you see the vampire like outside through the windows and it's very isolated and I was thinking to myself as I was watching last week I was like I'm gonna be so creeped out next weekend because it's like kind of a similar area setting ish and um, it's gonna be a little. It's gonna be unfamiliar. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna be seeing this this angel around every corner. Ah! I mean, like I I hope not, but oh, spooky! <laughs> so spooky. That angel, I mean, vampire, is <laughs> so ugly. It's so ugly and so scary. Yeah, it is not a hot vampire. Not at all. No, when it first made its appearance. Uh, like, when you fully, like, saw it in the cave, you know? Like, the face. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That scene in the tomb, I was not looking. I was looking away. I was so creeped out. Like, okay, when... John Pruitt, like, kind of, you know, crawls in there, and he's just in there, and this is what I like about Mike Flanagan and how he, like, crafts his scares, is he doesn't rely on jump scares, which I just appreciate as an audience member. Yeah. But he taps into a different kind of fear, because, like, when John Pruitt crawls into the tomb, he sees the reflection of the eyes looking at him, and because it doesn't, like, you know, jump out right away. Like, it just stares at him for a little bit. You can kind of see it, like, bobbing its head. Oh. You know in that moment that this is, like, some kind... It has a level of intelligence. Because if it was completely unintelligent, it would just be like, oh, food. I'm starving. 
and jump and attack right away as a starving, you know, unintelligent being might do. But because yes. it had the the thought process to just look at him and observe him, I was like, whoa, this thing is sentient. It is thinking. It is plotting. It Oh, it just really got under my skin. And that was from that, like, establishing shot, that lingering shot. Yeah. Ugh, I was talking to Miqua about it today. I was like, I'm so excited to talk to Aaron tonight because <laughs> we've been saving it. We watched it and we have like not been talking to each other about it because we wanted to get it all out for the first yes. time fresh on the podcast. <laughs> and I was telling her all about it and I was, she kept asking me questions. I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Well, I really want to tell you, but like, I can't tell you without a spoiler. And she's like, I'm, I'm not going to watch it. Like, tell me all the spoilers. I don't care. Or I'm I like, okay, so this like happens that. and then this happens and then this happens <laughs> and then this happens. And then, oh my God. And wow. This, and she's just like washing dishes. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just receiving all this information. Wow. So Miqua, shout out. So supportive. So supportive. Every, like, horror lover needs a friend who hates horror so that you can just talk to them about everything. Yes. This is so funny because I feel like, well, I don't feel like I've ever hated horror, but I've been kind of, like, maybe, like, apathetic. Like, eh, I sure. really don't care. Um, and this is actually, I was just talking to Miko about this today, which is funny. Um, but how you got me into horror because you're always suggesting <gasps> these things like Bly Manor, Hereditary, Midsummer. I don't think I would have seen any of those if <gasps> it had not been for your recommendation or Midnight wow. Mass. Wow. Yeah. So I just think it's kind of it's kind of funny. I feel like I almost used to be a friend who hated horror and now I'm not I'm not. But it's all come in full circle. So Jordan does not love horror but mm -hmm. sometimes he does like i had sent him the trailer for midnight mass because okay so we're both huge fans of bly manor mm -hmm. wait we as in you and i or you and jordan yes, yes us sorry you and i gabby oh, Aaron. yes yes i agree mm -hmm. yes so we love bly manor have you watched the haunting of hill house the first not one? yet but now i gotta Oh, Gabby. I have to go back to the roots. Yes, you do. Um, and so, yeah, I had watched those as they came out um, the last two Octobers. And I had been saying, I don't know, probably like six weeks ago, two months ago, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're not going to have another Mike Flanagan horror miniseries for this fall and then I felt like it was, like, just a few days later, I saw the trailer and freaked out because I didn't even know this was going to be a thing. And I had sent it to Jordan, and he wasn't, like, he was like, oh, sure. And then kind of, like, pushed, like, could we watch Midnight Mass? And then finally last weekend, he was like, okay, let's watch Midnight Mass. And he was so into it. Like, he predicted almost everything. Before it happened, he predicted that Paul was John Pruitt. He predicted, like, within, like, the first, like, 30 minutes, he was like, oh, there's a vampire. There's a vampire because there was all the talk about, like, alcoholism and about, um, like, drinking and, like, this metaphor about um, this thing inside you that craves and you can't give into it. Oh, my God. like. Yeah, and he Jordan was like, "Oh shit, there's gonna be a vampire." And I was like, "What?" 
Yeah. I had n- no idea. Same. Wow. I was, I mean, I was shocked Jordan. when actually, seriously, he was, he was like leaning in, theorizing, calling things. And so, yeah, it, I mean, the show is really good. Like, if you haven't watched it yet and you're listening, I mean, you're going to get all spoilers, but you should watch it. It's so good. Well, I cannot believe he predicted that. When I saw the old man and the mate, the old man, I was, I was like, uh, which you know, because I texted you and I was like, what the yes. fuck is with this guy? <laughs> like, why does he look like that? <laughs> you texted me that about John Pruitt and then Jason, who was on last week's episode, texted me, um, why is this why is this lady in old age makeup in reference to the woman? And I had also noticed that when we were watching, I was like, like the minute she came on screen, I was like, this is a young person in old age makeup. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, should we give a summary since that's what we do on our Twilight episodes? But I feel like anyone who's listening has probably seen it and it's new. Yeah. I mean, we could give like a a short summary, you know? Mm -hmm. I feel like you should do it because you've rewatched some of the episodes. Okay, I'll do my best. <laughs> I'm, putting, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, this is not going to be uh, comprehensive or <laughs> definitely a loose, loose summary. But love it. Also, I'm really bad at character names. Um, <laughs> so that'll also make it fun. I do have the cast pulled up next to on my phone because I knew I'd have to like know someone's name because you're good at character names mm-hmm. um I'm always like oh you know the guy in the red shirt <laughs> obviously obviously that guy yeah okay so we have a man named Riley who returns home to Crockett Island um and this is after he has had a drunk driving incident where he killed his daughter who was in the car with him. Or is it just like a different young woman? I think it was a random young woman because in the courtroom scene where he gets sentenced, there is like a slew of people from her family with signs that are like justice for whatever her name was. And, it, and we okay. never saw them again. So, okay. I felt like it was perhaps so, random. So that happens. And then he returns home, as I said before, to Crockett Island, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I don't know why. I just really like the name of it. Um, and it's, you know, it's a small town. It's, it's pretty, it's very religious. Like almost all of the members, like the inhabitants of this island go to like the same little Catholic church. Um, or, you know, they're non-practicing or there's a family who like practices Islam and that's just a key theme throughout the entire thing is this, this religious community here. And there's this priest who went on a journey and didn't make it, uh, John Pruitt. Is that his, his name name or is that the new guy's like fake name, his alias? That it's Monsignor John Pruitt. And then the new guy's fake name is Father Paul. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So Father Paul, aka, we find out, never mind, that's later in the summary, I guess. Um, <laughs> Father Paul is <laughs> in this place, and he's like, oh, Monsignor John Pruitt didn't make it. And then we find out that the woman who killed Derek Shepard is like the right hand lady at this Catholic church, um, which I thought was at first horrible casting. 
Because I was like, everyone's going to see her face and think that's the woman who killed Derek Shepard. But then that's good because actually I think you, like, you're definitely supposed to hate her. <laughs> um, who is Derek Shepard? I know he's from Grey's Anatomy, but is he one of the like... He's Meredith Grey's husband and love oh. from episode one. Not husband, oh. episode one, but episode one like of Grey's Anatomy starts off with Meredith Grey going to her first day of internship at the hospital and she's waking up from a one night stand and it's like awkward and bumbly and they don't even know each other's names. And then they run into each other at the hospital. When she's there at her first day of work, she stumbles into him and he's her boss. He's the head of neuroscience, like neurosurgery at the hospital. It's, Pat- it's Patrick Dempsey. Yeah. Is he, is he anyway. a McDreamy or a McSteamy? No, he's McDreamy. Wow. Um, and Bev killed McDreamy? Yeah, because she didn't get a CT scan and he had brain damage. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, Bev. Um, anyway, Fuck this you, woman. Bev. Her name is Bev. <laughs> we hate her. Yeah. When I was telling Miko about it, she we just agreed to call her the woman who killed Derek Shepard <laughs> while we were when you, when you said that like 30 seconds ago, like, oh, and then we meet the woman who killed Derek Shepard, I was literally sitting here racking my brain, like, which character was that? When, when did this happen? And it, it took me, I was not listening for about 15 seconds after you said it because I was so intent. Um, okay, yes, the woman who killed yeah. Derek Shepard continues. She's yeah. the right-hand woman. Yeah, and she's pretty shady. Uh, you kind of know that something's up with her. She's um, she's very uh, pious in a way that is condescending and very... Um, like authoritarian (laughs) she's uh very power grabby but this priest shows up and everyone's you know at church and then these miracles slowly start happening there's this character named lisa and she's in a wheelchair and by some miracle uh father paul is able to heal her so it seems in front of the congregation and she no longer needs her wheelchair and then it is revealed to us that father paul is actually monsieur monsieur lol what is his name (laughs) monsignor (laughs) we we monsieur jean (laughs) plant and that he went on this religious journey and while he was there he stumbled into these tombs for days and he was he was stuck there and he came upon what he believed to be this scary angel and he's like yeah it's an angel haven't you heard every single person ever who has encountered a biblical angel has been terrified because they're ugly and scary um I'm no exception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, this, this angel is an uggo. Yeah, it's really scary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, really, it's like, 
It's pretty, you should Google it. It's really scary or watch the show. Mm-hmm. Um, if you haven't already. And so it's revealed to us, the audience, that he is actually this, this angel feasted on him in this tomb. Um, and we think he's going to die. He's in like old man form. And then suddenly he returns from the tomb, very Jesus-like. Um, and he is youthful. After the angel gave him some of their own blood. Yes. Important. Mm-hmm. Yes. Important detail. So he leaves the tomb and he is our, what we know to be Father Paul. Um, but it's just him and his, his, his youth, his youthful form that he returned to after this angel gifted him its blood. So he then starts putting this blood into the um, communion wine beverage that they have at their church. And that is what has caused this girl, Lisa, to be healed and to walk again. And there are other different miracles that start happening in the town, too. Like um, one of the characters' mother um has like dementia that is suddenly like reversed and she also starts to return to her youthful form that's the woman we were talking about before in the age makeup Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but they create this plan to put this essentially they want to turn the whole town they believe this this priest believes that this angel has come to him as he has been gifted, like sent a gift from God to heal and to like bring, uh, you know, prosperity and, and the good times to, to this town. Um, which I think is really interesting. Uh, his, his motivation. We can talk about Mm -hmm. that more later when we're Mm -hmm. not summarizing, but, um, essentially he does this and there are people in the town who are, skeptical because eventually they have this um easter vigil this all of the events of this are leading up to this easter vigil where the plan is to kill everybody in town so that they may then rise with this angel's blood in their system and be become new be born again Mm -hmm. um like he believes that he was um but, but we find out that, oh, no, it wasn't an angel. It was a vampire. He's a vampire. Um, and he what? Turns, yes. He turns this young man. I guess he's not that young. He's like a normal age man. Um, the, the, the man who was drunk driving and killed the person. He turns him into a vampire. And that's where we really find out the whole vampire story. And so he tells someone that he is a vampire. And then he kills himself in front of her. So then she goes and tells people. So there are some people in town who are skeptical. And there are some people in town who are like devoutly like, yes, I will follow along this path to salvation. And those people on this Easter vigil end up drinking the rat poison that is introduced at the beginning. Um, And they all die together in this church. And the priest is like, it's okay. It's okay. Trust, trust in God. You will come, you will return like better than ever. So these people die and then they come back and then all of the town's people are like trapped in this church together, 
some of them are vampires now and then some of them just watched like everyone they know suddenly die and then come back to life and they die in like a really gruesome way they have like seizures and hemorrhaging and like yeah it's it's brutal Mm -hmm. um and from there shit gets even crazier because the vampires in the church start to eat everyone who didn't turn into a vampire and then those people also turn into vampires because, whoa, they drank the communion wine and had the vampire blood in their system. Uh, the whole town has been, like, unknowingly consuming this vampire blood. Um, so if any of them die, it turns them into a vampire. And then the town's people who are vampires start to go after and try and change and kill everybody who has not become like them yet. And then the crazy, okay, I shouldn't use that word, but the um, very, very, very religious Bev, the one who was like the right hand to this priest, ends up, while really going wild after everyone's a vampire, and the priest realizes that he has done wrong. He realizes that it was not an angel of the Lord, but that this has brought mass destruction. And he regrets that and is like, we can't do this. Stop doing this. Meanwhile, Bev takes the other way and is like, no, this is a sign from God. We are to bring the people into the good times. And this is how it happens. And then she quotes Bible verses and burns down the entire town. Um, and then our kind of main group of a few folks who were resistant, they're able to burn down the shelter that the vampires are planning on staying in because these vampires can't go out in the sun without burning up. That's how the guy on the boat killed himself. He let himself burn up right in front of this woman so she would believe his story. It was really brutal. Yeah. Really, really brutal because he didn't want to be a vampire. Um, wow, that was sad. <laughs> now I'm thinking about that moment. Yeah, it's, um, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah. And then, I forgot where I was. Oh, the sunlight. Yeah, but then all those people get killed. Um, only two people survive because the whole town is burnt down, so there's nowhere for any of the vampires to shelter, and the vampires, like all the townspeople, either killed everyone or became vampires, so there's nowhere to go, nowhere for them to hide. And they're all trapped on this island as the sun comes up and they're forced to burn together. They all burn up and die just like their whole town. And it's like the whole town starts singing the mm. song together. And then you watch the sun rise. And once it's risen, the singing just like all at once, yeah. it just like stops and goes quiet. And all that's left are two teenagers who managed to sneak away onto a boat. And they're mm -hmm. watching from the water as their town and all their loved ones die. Yeah. And that's, and that's Midnight, midnight Mass. Mass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, man, I feel like this has to be Mike Flanagan's, like, baby. Like, that's the feeling I got from it. Like, um, did you ever see a movie called Hush? It came out... Mm. That's the one with the with the deaf woman alone in the house, and there's an intruder yes. outside. Yes, yes and I the one. Yeah, so 
in that movie, which is directed and I think written by Mike Flanagan and also starring Kate Siegel, his wife, um, she that's, is. Mm-hmm. That's the the dark haired woman. Yes. Who, okay. Okay. Yeah. In that movie, she is a novelist, and she is writing a novel titled Midnight Mass. And I believe in, it's either in Hill House or Bly Manor, at some point someone like, like a bunch of books fall or someone's suitcase falls or something like that. I read this one online, so I haven't seen it, but... And then, and one of the books is titled Midnight Mass. So he's putting, he's put Easter eggs of this story into some of his other projects. So I think he's been thinking about it for a long time. And it, I mean, if that's the case, like it shows this. Yes. This story was so, like as a writer, I was floored by how well developed it was. And the, something that I'm struggling with in my writing right now is like cause and effect, action, then consequence. And I thought that this show, I was like just absolutely mind blown by how he just sets up these very, very, very clear actions and then reap the consequences. And the stakes were high. Oh, my God. Yes. They were high in this show. Um, I've been so excited to hear you talk about this specifically because of your perspective as a writer. Like, I've been so excited to hear you talk about it. Yeah, I mean, what he what he did is masterful. And, like, okay, listen. Yeah. This, this show could have been an entire episode shorter because he foddered it so much with monologue. That really, yes. really bugged me. Like, by the third or fourth episode, it was, like, every time a scene happened, someone would be like, and I just don't know what to do. And then the next person would be like, when I was four years old, mm-hmm. I had this dog. And I'm like, no, just just answer the question. So that did really bug me. I think he got a little self-indulgent later. And so, like, that aspect of the writing bothered me. And ultimately, it's because, like, monologue and, you know, the reason why in a lot of, you know, you'll often hear people say, like, oh, that monologue wasn't earned. Um, and it's because, like, for you, as if you think about in your own life, like, how often does someone let you speak for, like, 10 minutes straight without trying to get a word in? Like, we as human beings try and interrupt each other and offer our thoughts, typically. And so that really bothered me because I felt like a lot of these monologues, I was like, there is no way they wouldn't enter. Like, I don't know. It just felt really unrealistic and it felt self-indulgent. But aside from that, I felt like the writing was masterful. Um just looking at Riley's story, which, I mean, this series could have just been about Riley. Like, they he could right. have just made a series about Riley and it would have been, like, a good drama. And then he introduced the vampire and the religious fl- plot line and it made and it just, like, elevated it so much. But, like, if you look at Riley, you know, just, like, such clear cause and effect. Like, he drunk drives because he's an alcoholic. He kills someone. He goes to prison. He comes home he's messed up like dealing with the fact and you know something I appreciate about this show is like the character of Riley throughout does not let anyone excuse what he did he's constantly saying like no I I killed her I killed her that was me it wasn't anyone else that was me um and then because he went to prison he lost his faith 
because he, you know, he did this thing, he lost his faith. And because he lost his faith, he doesn't go to the church. He doesn't take the communion. Um, and because he's an outsider, Father Paul wants to reach out to him. And so he starts an AA meeting. And because of this AA meeting, right. he has a reason. And so it was just like all of these cause and effect things that were just so specific and so clear. And the fact that like Riley's journey with alcoholism mirrors Paul's journey with his vampiric thirst for blood and so you have these two people who completely understand each other but Riley doesn't know that he doesn't know at first that Paul is a vampire and so he doesn't understand this empathy and like we as the audience get to sit in that dramatic irony and it's so satisfying and then just the fact that like in episode three or four is it episode four where he he becomes a vampire yeah, Paul. Ba- yeah, like he basically gets turned against his will. He goes to confront Father Paul um, because he knows that he has uh, been lying. He catches mm-hmm. him in a lie, so he goes to confront him, and he walks in on Paul worshiping okay. the angel who is giving him more blood. Yeah, and then I'm watching this, and I'm like, oh man, how's Riley going to get out of this one? Because in my mind, Riley's the protagonist. And I don't, and I assume he's going to make it to the end, but no, the angel feeds on him and then Paul gives him blood and then he dies and then he comes back as a vampire. And everything we know about Riley up to this point as someone who like lost his faith and is very rooted in like, in a universe kind of like, like divorced of religious faith. And because we know that he is has rejected alcohol, he is fighting his alcoholism, um, and and he takes full accountability for the woman that he killed, it makes perfect sense that he would choose to die rather than to give in to this of to this thirst because it mirrors his alcoholism. He does not want to be an alcoholic, certain it because he killed someone. And so it makes perfect sense that, like, he would choose to burn alive rather than to kill another person because of this, like, thirst. And yeah. I just thought that was so fucking smart. And so, yeah, on we're, like, barely halfway through the show and the main character <clears throat> dies. And I was just <laughs> like, damn, like, anything can happen in Crockett Island. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, who was your favorite character? Oh, good question. Oh, the sheriff. Yes. Yes, Sheriff Hassan was oh my, my gosh. His his. I was most moved by his story. Yes, same. Out of all of them, like completely, yeah, it, it, it broke my heart. What happened to him and his son? Mm-hmm. That, I mean, I told you, like, mm-hmm. I was weeping. When that final shot of them doing their call to prayer as the mm-hmm. sun is rising. And then his son like burns up while he just like like keels mm-hmm. over and dies from his gunshot wound. Yeah, that was the oh. only moment. That was the only moment in the show where I cried. Like I, you know, my heart was racing or I would like maybe tear up a little bit in other parts. But I mean, you just have all of this conflict because the Sheriff Hassan 
his, him and his son, they are Muslim, and his son becomes very interested in the Catholic Church because all of his friends and the whole fucking community go to this church, and the dad is kind of begging him to, like, you know, it's good that you're curious, but, like, you are not a Christian. Like, why are you going to this church? Like, you are not a Christian. And, again, like, talking about, like, stakes and consequences, like, of course I didn't want the son to drink the rat poison, like, I was screaming at the TV, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But I believed that he would do that in that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm, with all the pressure and, you know, he doesn't want to be in this town. His dad moved him here and no one really likes his dad. And, if, like, he's a kid, you know. He, he wants to be liked. He wants to be a part of this very small community. And so it, I, it made sense to me that he would drink the rat poison as much as it killed me. Um, and yeah, just, just what a great use of show don't tell where there's not this, like, if I remember correctly, there's not a moment of dialogue necessarily between them where they're like, oh man, dad, I was wrong. Like, oh, don't worry, son. No, it it just shows them on the beach doing their call to prayer. And you know, in that moment that like, they are unified and they are, oh, so beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. And I wanted Bev to just rot for how oh, she treated him. Bev. When she, she and, and oh, go ahead, please. No, she makes my skin crawl. That's all I was going to say. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was um very smart that everyone else on the island well maybe not everyone but the main characters that we see um you know riley's parents and um father paul and his his woman his gf uh, and um sheriff hassan's son who's uh, ollie uh, is his name they all and riley and riley they all choose to i mean they they meet death the son with um Resolve like like with like resolve of like, okay, I'm accepting my fate. Like there's this feeling of acceptance of what's gonna happen to them, and Bev, what like, literally the last thing she does as she burns up is she's trying to dig a hole in the ground to bury herself. Like she cannot accept the consequences of her action. Like it felt like to me like everyone else did not fear um necessarily death or or if they did fear it they at least accepted it um but she's terrified because i think yeah and it just really shows that like she she was truly like evil and she had reason to fear yeah what a what a despicable character i loved when riley's mom oh my god yeah i mean you're just so right like like Riley's mom, who was had no intention of becoming a vampire, did not partake in the rat poison, left the church, ran for mm-hmm. her life, comes out and sacrifices herself and becomes a vampire. So that, oh my gosh, yeah, you're just, you're totally right. Just her, oh, it's so mm-hmm. gruesome. But she was like peaceful as fuck when she slit her own throat. Uh-huh. Knowing full well that Bev and, oh, what's that man's name? Uh, was it Sturge? Yeah, I think it was Sturge. Or was it Howie? Let's say let's say it was Sturge. <laughs> um, Hopefully it was. When they show up together, it's yeah, you're totally right. Or when um when what's her name? Erin Green 
is being fed on by the angel just slicing its wings and it pulls away to look somewhere and she gently like softly brings its face back to her throat mm -hmm. or to wherever it was so that like sacrificing herself so that she can cut this angel i keep calling it the angel so she can cut I this mean, <laughs> so that because uh, even when they introduced it as an angel i didn't know it was going to be a vampire i was still like i was still i honestly because i was like Oh yeah, I guess angels are really ugly. I mean, I knew there was gonna be something fucked up that happened with it, right? But I didn't know it was gonna be a vampire specifically. But yeah, when she's doing that to like kill it, and the other adults like are burning down like the shelter and like putting themselves mm -hmm. in harm's way so that these kids can escape too. Like, mm -hmm. and it also felt it um it felt like everyone was doing. Like, I felt like the group of survivors who, like, hadn't turned yet when they left the church were like, okay, we need to get out of here. But then the conversation turned to, like, we need to keep this contained. It needs to end here. Yes. And everyone was doing what they could to do that. Like, yeah, with Riley's mom sacrificing herself in that way to, you know, keep them away. Were they going to burn the boats? I think they were. I can't remember. Um but, you know, distracting Bev and Sturge so that the others could go off and, yeah, burn the shelter, burn the burn the boats. Um, and then Aaron, it, yeah, cutting the wings, not letting the angel leave. Yeah, that, oh, what a chilling image of her bringing it back yes. to her neck to continue yeah. feeding. Um, because they all know now, it's like, okay, it's not about surviving anymore. It's about protecting the rest of the world. And... Um, Bev could not do that. It was it was just completely about her and her faith and her righteousness and being seen as better than and being more righteous than and being a part of this religious second coming or whatnot. Yeah. I loved the I loved when Riley's mom was like, You're a bad person. God yes! does not God does not love you more than my alcoholics like yes as bev is trying to use that against her like suggesting mm -hmm. that it was her parenting that like had something to do with his ailment and this just touched on i mean i think you and i both have a good amount of like religious you were you were raised religious right yeah people spoke people spoke in tongues at my church oh you went to one of those churches <laughs> It was called Christ Evangelical, and then they changed the name to Christ Community Church. <gasps> uh, wow. So Gabby yeah. comes from Christ Evangelical, where people speak in tongues. I from I come from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where you get baptized for dead people. Um, so we have a lot of experience in the Western Christian organized religious world. And I was just like... I was really um, struck by all of kind of the different facets of religion that he was able to touch on with this story. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you have Bev, who is evangelical, fanatical. And it, like what I loved about her was her constant Bible quoting, because there is a Bible verse for everything. Yes. Yes. It is like it's old enough and it's and it's, you know, kind of vague enough that and you could see her doing this. You could see her literally like searching in her mind 
and then finding like, oh, here's the Bible verse. Like, this is what fits this situation. And like that, we see this every goddamn day. You know, people cherry picking Bible verses um, to fit their narrative. And then also, I mean, just a couple minutes ago, Gabby, you said like, oh, I keep calling it the angel when it was a vampire, but they never call it a vampire. And so now I'm thinking, I'm like, well, was it a fucking angel? That's how, maybe it was both an angel like presented in that way. Like that's how that angel moved through the world. Right. And so then I'm thinking like, okay, well, okay. So let's say the Bible, you know, I mean, I am of the belief that like it has been translated and retranslated so many times and over so many years, there's no way that this is close to the original text. Um, like what we have now, but let's, let's just say that it is at least like in the realm of the original text. And these people really thought they saw these angels, like who's to say it wouldn't be a goddamn vampire. Like, you know, I just thought that was so smart. That was just so smart. Like to, to, to look at the Bible's description of an angel as a writer and think like, well, I, you know, if you show any kind of monster to an evangelical Christian, they could justify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, we don't know if it's an angel or not. It was trapped in a tomb in Jerusalem for millennia, I'm assuming. Yeah. So maybe it was an angel. I just, Or a like, demon. Yeah. I googled it for a second. Yes, what does like, Google have to say? Okay, this is not like a reputable source. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of the website? Uh, agentofchaos.com. I expect to differ, that is reliable. It is a primary source document. It was cut and pasted from vampires.monstrous.com. But <laughs> please sponsor us, vampires.monstrous.com. I'll do some more research on this, but it says the fallen angels theory, the theory, this theory is inspired from the books of, oh, how do you pronounce this? I should know. E-N-O-C-H. Enoch. That's how it, okay. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought it was. Um, Mm -hmm. Claims that vampires are the offspring of the union between fallen angels and humans. When the children of the fallen angels had consumed all of the food available, they turned to mankind and began to eat their flesh and drink their blood. In another adjunct, vampires are the offspring of the daughters of Eve and the angel of death sent by God on earth. Vampires have the mission to control and thwart the the demonic demonic offspring Mm -hmm. of the fallen (laughs) angels. So Interesting. Maybe there's a deeper theory there. That's all that this um, sketchy website says. <laughs> I like that. I I like the idea. I think that I am just, I'm going to love any theory that's like, what you think in the Bible is like angels and they're describing as angels were actually like monsters. Just because like, you know, modern day Western Christians Christianity a lot of times it's like oh you know like when Harry Potter came out a lot of Christian families were like oh you can't read Harry Potter same with Twilight um and so there's a deep like dislike and aversion to um satanic seeming things and so I like the idea that you know what they're reading about and and quoting and talking about is actually like vampires and shit that would be cool that would be funny 
So the last line of the whole show is mm-hmm. it shows Lisa and the young woman who was in a wheelchair and then was miraculously healed by the blood um, and Riley's younger brother, the only people left on the island who did not turn into vampires. They are in a little like canoe Robo. basically. Yeah. yeah. Off the coast of this island watching everyone burn. And then as the sun rises um, and goes over the island, Lisa turns to Riley's brother and says, I can't feel my legs. And she smiles. And one, you know, I was really wary when I saw the trailer for the show because I saw mm-hmm. in the trailer that there was a young woman who gets up from a wheelchair and walks. And I was like, this feels really ableist. Like, you know, I, I and I'm not, I'm nowhere near an authority on what is or isn't ableist, but um, it gave me those vibes. And when it was happening in the show, I was still like, I, I can't really tell because I feel like what's happening, these miracles is like bad. Mm-hmm. You know, like we he's feeding them this blood and they don't against their consent like they don't even know and ultimately Mm -hmm. it does become a curse Mm -hmm. and so when that was her last line and it in her delivery and the direction of it was to smile afterward i was i was relieved and i would i i really want to see if i can find some articles written by disabled folks on this show um because i would love to hear that perspective but I took that to mean, one, that, like, the curse was broken and she was back to the way she was supposed to be, which was disabled and in her wheelchair. Like, that is how she is supposed to be. And also, I wonder, do you think that when the Papa Vampire Angel died, do you think that if anyone had still been alive when he died or when they died, like, would everyone else had died Two. Ooh. That happens in the Vampire Diaries. Um. But no, I don't think so. I think that, and I, this is interesting that you bring it up because this was in one of the episodes I just rewatched before we were recording. Um, when the doctor is having her monologue her talking about how she tested everyone's blood and she tells Aaron that the vampire blood is likely what caused her her fetus to evaporate it's not like she like I I mean I don't know I don't know what else to call it it just disappeared you know literally was just like goodbye (laughs) which is really sad I know it's fucked up also I thought that was this is I don't know I was listening to a podcast today um, and they were talking about the Texas abortion bans. And I was like, that's so interesting that this, like, a devoutly religious, like, chapter unknowingly, like, created, like, little abortion juice. <laughs> didn't even, they didn't even know. The most uh, effective plan B you could ever take. Yeah, but that was really sad. It um, was sad. But when she was talking about that, one of her theories that she said was that uh, just like alcohol or another drug, eventually our blood burns through it and it is no longer in our system. Mm, and so right. my, it's my assumption that because she was no longer like doing communion all the time, that it probably just like mm-hmm. naturally left her system. You're right. Yep. When that scene happened, when she gets up and walks, because it's at the end of episode two, so it comes pretty early in the series. 
I like can't really remember the last time a show made my like heart kind of stop. Like as I was watching that scene and um it starts with Father Paul and we don't know yet that he's uh John Monsignor, Monsignor John Pruitt, unless you're Jordan who was able to like guess it really early for some reason. Um he's like back in the little vestibule before the beginning of mass like praying really hard and just really like there's this long camera shot on him and so we know something's gonna happen and then yeah he comes out he's doing communion and i'm watching him the actor and i'm like oh shit he's gonna make her get up and walk and i just like i just kept thinking what if you were like in church and this happened because he holds it in front of her almost like bait and he's like come on get your communion and everyone thinks it's kind of a joke at first they're incredulous and then he backs up up the stairs and is literally making her walk and people are getting upset rightfully so and then she just gets up and i was just like can you even fucking imagine like i just thought it was such a jaw-dropping moment because it it felt so rooted in realism so far like the show did yeah and so I was really just living in that realistic headspace yeah and um oh yeah it like it like chilled me to the core I was like this is shocking yes there were many many moments in Mm -hmm. this series where I felt like that specifically the ones centered around those like religious moments or like those like like larger than life miracles proof of like god anything like that that was happening those were the moments where where i was telling you last time where i felt scared like oh yeah like i felt those things scared me during the show because i i think when i, I mean when i was watching it i knew like something bad was gonna happen. It was like, well, no, none of this is this is not a happy show about mm-hmm. like Jesus and all of that. Like it's it just scared me because also it's like I just agree. Like there were so many moments like that that were happening where I, I same thing. I was like, what would I do? And I was like, I mean, I'd be terrified. Yes. And also, and also I I don't know that I wouldn't. It's like as hard as it is, I would not want to be one of those people who like drank rat poison. And right. right now, I don't believe I would be. But if I were in church watching people like literally start exactly. walking, watching yes. like this old woman like reverse age and like no longer have dem- like if I were watching those things happen right before my eyes, how the fuck would I like talk myself out of believing that that was real? And this is, like, what I'm saying about the cause and effect that that Mike Flanagan has crafted into this script specifically is, like, when Lisa gets up and walks, we have no reason to believe at this point that she's been given magic blood. Yes, yes, we haven't seen that yet. No, we, yeah, we, all we know is that there is a monster on the island because we see a glimpse of it in episode one, all the dead cats show up, um... We have no reason to believe that that is necessarily connected to what's happening at the church. And so I'm just watching this show 
And I'm like, wait, so is this guy actually performing miracles? And like exactly what you said, Gabby, like if I'm one of these, you know, it's a, it's a fictional show, but if I'm thinking about like, if I was ever in that situation, our brains grasp for logic and there was none for these people. Yeah. There was none to be found. And you know what? I just had this thought. I didn't think about it before right now, but everything that happens with the doctor character, and I can't remember her character name, but like you were just saying, she has that monologue about the blood and how it reacts and her theories about scientifically what's happening. And at first I was kind of like, oh, this is cool that she's giving a real explanation for what's going on. But then I think it represents something deeper, which is anything that can be attributed to like religion could also probably have a scientific um, explanation. And we mm-hmm. just might not have the the research or the technology to be able yes. to explain it right now. But yeah, like folks who were living in you know, before Christ describing miracles, like how do we know that that wasn't just like what, like there probably is a scientific explanation for that. And so I think that is so smart because it ties into this theme of like religion can justify anything, but at the same time, science can explain almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. And she even brings up like you're saying germ theory is like the specific example that she uses to say like when this man essentially invented this and discovered that we that germs exist people didn't believe in germs people didn't know what it was Mm -hmm. and he got his license revoked and was sent to like a sanitarium Mm -hmm. because other like people in his scientific community didn't believe him and then like years later germ theory is like oh he was right. We do need to wash our hands. And, and yeah. so, yeah, exactly what you're saying that, like, yeah, her whole, her whole thing. Ooh. Today, maybe yesterday. Um, I don't know why my brain was on this tangent. I was thinking about, like, sci-fi movies um, where, you know, like, stuff like Star Wars or Star Trek where instead of, like, countries, there's just planets. And each yeah. planet kind of has their own distinct culture and way of life. Uh-huh. And in all these portrayals, the planets are unified. And yeah. I'm just like, God, how stupid is Earth? Like, <sighs> we're all on this one, pl- like, we're all human beings, we're all on this one planet, and yet we have all these problems that are completely self made um, because we have argued over resources and land. Yep, And it's just like, why can't we just be humans on Earth and just share and be nice to each other? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that also makes me think about, like, religion and white supremacy, which is also present mm-hmm. in Midnight Mass. Big time. Big Especially, time. it's something that's hinted at throughout the, throughout the series, through, you know, Bev and her relationship with um, Sheriff Hassan. But then at the end, like, by the end, she's calling him legit slurs. Yeah. By the end of it, her character, like, when she's hiding in the back of the church while everyone is changing, 
and the the survivors find her hiding in that back room just like a coward yeah (laughs) oh my gosh her it's just like not that I had an ounce of respect for her at the beginning but by the end I was like same yeah she has this line in that moment where i think aaron is the one who like pulls a gun on her or or is it sheriff hassan does he pull the gun on her i think they both have guns at some point yeah someone does i can't remember who actually does it but they point a gun at bev and she's like do it i'd only be five minutes behind and then they pull the trigger she she's killed and then they say okay we have five minutes and then there's a line later about oh, what? why are you giving us knives? It would only buy us minutes. Like, And Aaron says, well, it's going to come down to minutes, maybe seconds. And it just made me think about Bev at the end trying to buy herself just like a couple more minutes, a couple more seconds by burying, by trying to bury herself in the sand. Yeah. She also, if I'm not mistaken, she was on the same beach, right? Yeah, she was like right next to them. That's mm-hmm. such like a powerful juxtaposition. Of their, yeah. like, their, like you were saying earlier, you know, their peaceful ending. But for her to see them, like, unified and t- together in partnership, where yes. she's alone with no one. But also, but the, they are unified because they are all facing death. It didn't matter in the end. Like, they are equal in that. It's also, I, it feels really interesting to me, too, that, like, in, in, in their case, it feels like they still had like god as a as yes. like a safe haven for them in the end where she's on that beach and her god has abandoned her yes oh what a great observation Oof. so satisfying to watch her go like that <laughs> i know just watch her burn so do you think that Bev was, like, kind of in love with John Pruitt? Yeah, totally. Okay. I, well, you know me. I'm just a horny little bugger. <laughs> I I was sorely disappointed there was not more romance in this series. Um, I thought we would at least get, like, one substantial scene with Riley and Aaron. Okay, that's what I was just thinking about. And, I mean, I get it. I think that, in a way, it was kind of beautiful that, like, you know, like, he sleeps in her bed the night after she miscarries. Um, And I think it is – there is a beauty to the fact and, like, a tenderness to the fact that, like, they don't have sex. He's just there um, in her bed to be with her because she needs to, like, have someone. Yeah. Um, And so I did think that was beautiful, but also, like – Come on, no one. Like, you're going to put all these hot people on screen and no one's even going to kiss? Like, yeah. I thought I thought Bev was definitely going to, like, I thought there was going to be some weird something. Not like they would, like, kiss or anything, but I thought there would at least be, like, a confrontation of the fact that Bev was, like, in love with John Pruitt. Oh, I just hate her. I love, I just, I love at the end, though, the how it sets them apart um Mm. in their like in their goals Mm -hmm. you know I just I thought that was really interesting that we 
saw this character shift like after the the angel hurts john pruitt's like mildred that's her name mm-hmm. mildred gun mildred gunning is the old becomes young lady mm-hmm. um it feels like after that when they had that moment in the church and he's like did he hurt you talking about when the angel likes uh, yeah obviously like kills her mm-hmm. um i just thought that was so interesting i don't think I, i'm not saying that like I forgive him or I feel like that moment like absolved him or anything like that. I very specifically do not feel that way. Yes. Um, but I do. I, I did feel like it was so interesting that he was given this moment of like just a moment of like a glimpse of that kind of remorse and like, Oh, it, it made me curious about like, where would his character have gone if they had not all died here on this Island tonight? Right. Like, what would be the next thing that happens? Whereas I'm, I'm not curious about Bev because she would go on to be a, a religious fanatic as she already was, and like mm-hmm. bring nothing but harm on people without any regret. Yeah, I I do have to say I I was a little angry because I also do not forgive him at all. Mm. Um, and I was a little angry that he that he got to be with the woman he loved and his daughter at the end there. I really wanted Mildred to reject him and be like, no, you don't get to come sit with us and in her favorite place, like, because you did all this. Um, And I like, I understand why they did it. Like, I get it, you know, and, and I mean, the way that his character is crafted, we're meant to like him. Like he's charismatic. He's self-assured. He is empathetic. Um, and his actions are just completely misguided. And so I, I do understand. And I, it just kind of felt like, oh, wait, a woman I had like an actual personal connection to got hurt. And now I, and now I realize I did something bad. It, it oh, just kind totally. Of, it just kind totally. of made me think about how like people will always be like, you know, every woman is someone's mother someone's daughter someone's sister and it's like no just don't do it because it's bad um that's kind of how it felt to me it's like oh wait i i am in love with her oh shit this is bad this is bad and like i get it because he is stupid he's dumb yeah he's dumb dumb um Mm -hmm. so it makes sense within the character that's not i'm not saying like that didn't make sense but I'm saying that because that is the thing that brought him around, I did want, I did just want him to get a little bit of his comeuppance. It's like, bitch, you are the reason. Yeah. You are the reason this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. I would have been equally satisfied if he had also rot. Yes. Yes. Like, I did. I did like that. Um, I liked that he like renounced the faith. Yes. And he was able to recognize in his last moments, like, not only am I the bum, but, like, this, I want nothing to do with this thing that, you know, mm-hmm. that led me down this path. And, you know, I don't know. Um, so I was half satisfied with his ending. But, yes, yeah. I, wanted him, I wanted him to rot. Mm. It's, just, it's so, it's just so interesting for me. It's so interesting to think about. You know, it just poses a lot of literally, like, interesting and like upsetting things too though like yes. it's, it's definitely in real life there are people who are misguided people who have learned it's like they're misguided they're motivated by what to them feels like a like a good honest intention mm-hmm. and it's not 
And then there are those people who just don't give a fuck about yes. the harm. Um, they just want the power. And so that's why I just thought it was interesting. And I, that for me was like, okay, we get like that clear difference between like those two very real things that happen. Right. But while you were talking about the Bible verses being cherry picked so often mm-hmm. with, and Bev cherry picking Bible verses as well. It's so interesting because early on when she's fighting with, I can't remember which character it is, but she is yelling at them like, you do not get to cherry pick the Lord's blah, blah, blah. And it's so OMG. yelling that at them, even though she continues to do that and is our example of how that functions in the real world. I also want to point out that moment, which I think is a really important moment, even though it's so quick, is when Riley's mom and dad reunite after being turned into vampires. And she asks, and she's talking to him about, like, is it always going to be like this? Like, I already feel thirsty. Like, are we going to be like them? Talking about the other townspeople who are just, like, ravaging and murdering anyone that they see. I don't know. I thought it was really important that they had that moment because he talks to her and he's like, no, I feel thirsty, too. But I've been able to control it all night. You don't have to do anything like, I haven't killed anybody. That's because she approaches him and she's like, have you mm-hmm. have you killed anyone tonight? And he's like, oh, my God, no. No, I haven't. And I'm not going to. Like, I won't. Right. And I thought that was just such a small but really important moment because they're standing right there talking about it while we're still seeing all the people around them, I like, know. chasing and murdering and, like, grabbing people from their homes and d- killing them and eating them. And it's just, like... I, I think that what that highlights for me because I agree it's a very important moment. I'm really glad it was included is that, you know, I used to justify the LDS church. Um, even after I was like directly had like stopped going, I was still really defensive of it um, because I still like attached some of my identity to it. Um, and I would always say like, well, some of the best people I know are LDS. Like some of the genuinely like best, most good hearted people I know uh. are LDS, but the harm that the organization brings through their shared doctrine, it doesn't matter if yeah. like, you are the one good person because the harm is still being inflicted. And I think that we're being shown that on a literal level where it's like, these were flawed characters. You know, there were moments with Riley where I was like, you are going about this a very bad way. Like they, they were very flawed, but at their core, you know, they had goodness in them they they did not give in they did not murder they they recognized that what was happening was wrong and they wanted to get out they wanted to help but we're seeing like we're seeing the harm on a Mm -hmm. literal level everyone is being affected even them like they are feeling this thirst they're watching people getting murdered people are getting changed and then eventually they all die Mm -hmm. and it's just these two you know in air quotes innocent um, young people who survive and I think that's really important that we see that even though they were good they still suffered and they still caused suffering yeah um, I'm just thinking about this tweet that I sent you on TikTok where um, so Rahul Kohli who plays Sheriff Hassan this is the daddy one yeah they're like one of the funniest people 
on the internet. And I think he's also really loving being like a heartthrob because he's definitely the heartthrob coming out of this show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, someone had tweeted at Rahul Coley 13, the classics dad stance, you've done your research and it's a screen grab of them in on set doing the dad stance. And they say they, they quote tweeted it and said, for my prep. I spent months studying daddies during production. I never broke daddy. The cast and crew had to call me daddy or I wouldn't respond. It wasn't until we wrapped that they finally got to meet the real undaddy me hashtag method. The undaddy me. Hashtag method. (laughs) Oh my God. That's That's hilarious. I loved him. I loved his character. Like I, yeah, I loved him. Oh, I can't wait to rewatch this. I know. I want to restart it for the beginning. It's so funny because in my mind, I'm like, we could both rewatch it and fill up an entire we could second podcast episode just talking about what we learned during our rewatch. It's true. <laughs> oh man, there's so much good TV out there. There's so much good TV. I love TV. Well, I guess we should talk about who we are going to stake. Oh, yeah. Ironically, their staking does not work on the vampires in Midnight Mass. Yeah. Wait, how do you kill them? If not for sunlight. Was ever... Did we figure it out? I think mm. it's just sunlight. I don't know. Yeah. Or set them on fire. Well, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Know? Yeah, I am... I am staking, um, y'all, I just got to stake my anxiety this week. Mm -hmm. She was acting up and uh, made life a little tricky and not fun. And I don't need that in my life. I I do not need that energy. So sorry, anxiety, I've found the cure for you and it's a stake in the heart. So, oh my God, it's gone miracle holy shit just like <gasps> in midnight mass it's i'm a, a believer <laughs> then i saw her face do 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 and i'm a believer that was great um hmm. who am i gonna who am i gonna stake i actually like i had a pretty decent week it's so interesting because like so yesterday was an interesting day for me mm-hmm was an anniversary date of sorts and I don't know I feel like I want to like stake something in the heart that has to do with that but at the same time it was I was having like it was bringing up sad memories for me but I was feeling sad because I was able to look at like where I was at this time last year versus where I am today Mm -hmm. right now and see so much growth and healing and like change that has come about from this like really really you know these painful things Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, that was a tangent. But like, <laughs> I loved it. But it's like I, so I'm just feeling so positive. But like, I want to stake. Like, uh, it can be something trivial. Just, yeah, that's true. That's true. It can totally mm-hmm. be something trivial. Gabby, you have to stake something. I'm sorry. I, I know. I'm gonna do it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, um, I'm staking, staking my bedroom in the heart. What is your bedroom doing to you? It's 
not doing anything. I just feel like I can't get it clean because I have so many things. And I keep getting rid of things, but it's like all my things are in this one room. <laughs> I'm so thankful to have this one room. So blessed. So fortunate. Mm-hmm. But like, ugh, I just need some more storage. <laughs> and even if the thing is that my room is very tiny and it's already full. So it's like, even if I were to try and get something where I could have more storage, I would have nowhere to store that thing. Fuck you, Gabby's bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, take that. It's funny because even as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh, I love my room, though. Like, I don't want to stay. I'm glad you had I'm glad you had a good week. That makes me so happy to hear. Yeah. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Ooh. Well, we should say goodnight. I agree. Mm-hmm. I agree. So long, suckers. Keep your eyes peeled for sparkly, sexy angels, <gasps> vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.